the last verse of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. And that text reads, Unto him, God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Or so be it. God's glory is where we begin with everything and it is where we end with everything. There is nothing before God's glory and there's not anything going to come after God's glory. Everything as we know it is about God's glory. Everything that is, everything that happens, everything that occurs and will happen is all contributing to God's glory. In other words, there's nothing outside of the realm of God's glory. Everything that is and everything that will be, ultimately, one way or another, or in repetitious ways, will bring glory to God. If it exists, it glorifies God. You say, what about sin? What about wickedness? God will punish it, and it will glorify Him. God does punish it, and it glorifies Him. So it's pretty amazing thought that if you try to think at a starting point in any way, shape, and form of your mind, you don't start with creation. You start with God who is eternal. And the events of creation were according to the divine purpose all orchestrated to bring glory to God. In fact, again, let this thought consume your mind. There's nothing you can think of or name to me or to yourself that is outside the realm of God's glory. And the Bible makes this very clear. It says, even the wrath of man will praise God. God can turn the worst to his glory because he will deal with everything according to his holy attributes. Whether it be in mercy and redemption or whether it be in judgment and punishment. And a reminder of that, which if I was teaching theology, this is where I would start all my students. I've started this church on this years ago. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, not Genesis 1-1, but Revelation 4 and 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, For or because thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So God created ultimately the supreme purpose that he would receive glory from everything he created. And like we were talking in Sunday school, if he created it and gave life to it and gave existence to it, He has every right to demand glory from it. Whether we're talking about the creation, whether we're talking about humans, or whether we're talking about angels, it's all the same. A similar scripture is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, and notice this, and for him. For him in what manner? To bring him glory. And he is before all things, and by him all things exist. So the very act of creation was God's handiwork that he might be glorified when man and angels look upon what he did and what he is doing. And of course, we glorify him as the people of God in that we have been redeemed by his goodwill and pleasure according to sovereign grace. But again, even the wicked and hell and the punishment of the Antichrist and Satan and all his fallen angels, they will be a living, eternal testimony to the glory of God's holiness and justice in punishing sin and wickedness. Just as you and I will rejoice in eternal bliss and goodness for all eternity. So, think of that thought by way of introduction. In the new creation of heavens and earth and even the punishment of hell, all things will still be bringing glory to God. And of course, in some sense, as far as the redeemed are concerned, in a better way and in a purer state than ever has been in this fallen creation. So, the text says, Unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. And of course, there are many false teachings, always have been, always will be, about glorifying God. People do all kinds of things and call it glorifying God. They go all kinds of places, involve themselves in all kinds of events and rites and ceremonies and things and call it glorifying God. But how, when, where do the people of God glorify God? Well, in the Old Testament, they did it a little different than we do, don't they? Because in the Old Testament, they had a temple. And in the New Testament, we had the church. And the temple is no longer there. The people of God would go to the temple and worship and so forth and so on, right? But our text tells us that the place God receives his ultimate glory is in the church. And you just think about that for a moment. I know you know that. But think about how special that is, how unique that is, and how important that is. You do not have to go to a quote-unquote holy place or consecrated piece of ground somewhere on the planet to glorify God. We, In fact, we glorify God every day. But let me just clear the water right here. You cannot personally glorify God in your personal life like the church can when all of us gather together. What you do in your closet and what I do in my closet, that's our personal communion with God. 
But that don't begin to compare with the glory he receives when the saints of God assemble for worship weekly as a body or the church. Now, again, think about it. All idolatry is in some way, shape, or form under the guise of glorifying God of some kind, some sort. And we can look at the, call them heathen, pagan, barbaric rituals through human history. But let me remind you today, modernism is just as barbaric in theory and in principle as what people did who were running around naked in places in our past. So no matter what it is or how it is, people are calling it glorifying God when it does not fit the criteria of what Scripture says glorifying God. So very clearly our text says, Unto Him be glory in the church and by or through the way, the truth, and the life, Christ Jesus. So the church is the place where we glorify God the greatest and where God receives the greatest glory on this earth and has been and will continue to, has for 2,000 years and until he comes for it, will continue to do so. So let's think about the church. What makes the church so special? Why is he receiving glory and will receive his glory and his greatest glory in and through the church? Well, the church is special in numerous ways and that's a few things we want to remind you of today. It's because the church is where all and any of the truth that there is in this world is to be found. Think about that. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not saying anything that calls itself a church. I'm saying the church, meaning the assembly of saints today that matches the pattern of the assembly that Jesus Christ started when he was here. That church is literally the depository of truth. Now I'm saying some very elementary things that you know, but they're profound. Not because I'm saying them, but because they're truth. I mean, would you go to a library to look for truth? I don't believe in luck, but good luck with that. People search the internet. I wouldn't waste my time looking for truth on the internet, would you? And people go to all kinds of sources, don't they, for truth. And eat all kinds of garbage that's called truth. But the Word of God tells us there's one place on the planet that's the depository for truth. And don't waste your time running around looking for it anywhere else. It's the Lord's church. If it is a scriptural New Testament church, you can expect and should expect to find truth there. But we know better than to believe that everything that calls itself a church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. But that's what the church is. 
So the church is the greatest institution there ever has been and there ever will be. Think about it. We're a few here today, but we are a church, which means we are a part of something that's bigger than anything there ever has been or ever will be in the the world. There is no entity... There is no organization in the world that will ever supersede the standing of the Lord's church. And that's because simply it's His. (laughs) It's His. And Christ, the head of the church, has a relationship with His church that he has with no other entity, no other group, no other organization, no other assembly of peoples. There's nothing, no organization, no entity more important or ever will be than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he is head of. I hope you're feeling pretty good by now. You ought to. What a privilege, what an honor, what a blessing. To be a part of the greatest thing that there ever has been and ever will be. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's not a greater relationship than the relationship that Christ has with his church. It is the greatest institution on earth. It always will be. It belongs to Christ. He founded it. He's the head of it. He's the savior of it. He's his spouse to it. And one day he's going to take it to be his bride. Turn over a page or two in your Bible to Ephesians 5. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Let's pause again and ask her a question. For whom did Christ die? Those that were given to him by the Father, elected, chosen, the redeemed. Where are we supposed to find God's people? Well, if Christ gave himself for the elect and Christ gave himself for the church... And he loved them both. They are synonymous as being the boat. Bottom line, you should expect to find God's people, elect people, believers, the redeemed in the Lord's church. Now we know we don't live in an ideal world. But that's where they should be. And we would even ask the question of the contrary. Why should we expect to find them anywhere else? If God's people are going to be obedient and be following the Lord, why would they not be a part of the Lord's church? Which he loved and died for and gave himself for. So again, from the get and go, the church is unique. The church is special simply because it belongs to Christ. He loves the church. He is jealous over the church. And again, he is espoused. 
That means betrothed, engaged is what we would say to the church here on earth. But one day, he's going to take that church to be his bride. And she's going to dwell in a special place with him in the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, throughout all eternity. It's special now. But it's even going to be more special in the future. So, again, this is the only place we should expect on earth to find any truth of any degree is in the church, which Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, look back with me in the third chapter, back to verse 10. And notice for emphasis here that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And added to that, it says, To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. The truth of God. Found where? In the church of God. And when it mentions here to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, everybody ought to get that right. Who are the principalities and powers in heavenly places? Okay, there's some principality and powers in some dark places reserved for judgment. That's the fallen angels. But if there's principalities and powers in heavenly places, that's the elect angels, isn't it? And it says, verse 10, just a brief reminder here, that this, the Lord's church, is the place where the angels go to school. This is where they learn. This is where they are instructed. They're not being taught by the world. They're not learning from men's libraries. They learn from God's word as it is preached and taught and held true in the Lord's church. So, while these chairs, sadly, are mostly empty, we don't know how many angels are in attendance. Never do we know at one time. But we know they're there because the Bible says so. And it emphasizes that. And that kind of reminds us, we're talking about the presence of angels and the truth and the manifold wisdom of God here revealed as the Spirit reveals it by the Word of God through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. But again, the, one of the most unique things about the church is that not only it belongs to Christ, but it is the only place where Christ promised His presence on the earth when He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And what did he say? Matthew 18 and 20. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, an assembly of his people, there I am in the midst of them. Kind of makes you think about on the resurrection day when uh, the apostles were gathered in that room and Jesus just showed up in their midst, didn't he? Remember that? The door wasn't open. The window wasn't cracked. He just showed up. He came and went. Presence. Well, that's the promise we have. That when we assemble, Christ, who cannot lie, has promised to be in our midst. 
I never know who to expect at church. You never know. And you don't. We, we never know. We've had people drop in, drop out, and show up and show off and everything else, right? But I'm always hopeful that God's people will come to church. I mean, we have a right to expect that. But there's other entities that we can expect to be here. I know the Lord will be here if two or three are gathered together. He, he said that, didn't he? We know the angels will be here if we have a church service because we just covered that, right? And I know the devil's going to be here. And the rest kind of remains we never know until we get here, do we? But again, we know those are going to be present. And of course, we love the Lord's promise the best, don't we? He dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. We have that comfort. But there is a special presence when the people of God assemble together. That's why he said where two or three are gathered together. So think about this. When we talk about, quote-unquote, going to church, we're talking about assembly of Christ, His espoused bride, God's people, and the holy angels. In other words, this is not a trivial thing. This is not like going to the store. This is not like going somewhere to check something off a list. There's nothing more special and no place more special to go than church. Because it is at church where the people of God worship their head and where Christ is exalted upon the earth. What a blessing. What a blessing. So everybody is there. The church is a place where we come to be sanctified. What do we mean by that? Sanctification comes up all the time in the Scripture. Well, look back to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would please, and verse 26 and 27. There we read, after 25, which we read, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. If you need a definition of sanctification, just write it right down right there in the margin. This is sanctification. Verse 25, 26, and 27. It is a purification process. It is a process of becoming more holy. It is a process of getting rid of the dirt and the filth and all of that, just like washing clothes. And it is done by the preaching and teaching of the truth of God's Word in the Lord's church. Again, no place on the planet that can be done. Anywhere... I wouldn't even say to the equivalent to much less equal to the Lord's church. After all, that's what the Lord's church is all about. That's part of the reason it's here. It's not all of the reason it's here. But to the believers and members, we're here that we might keep getting more pure, more holy, more clean. And that means getting rid of the filth of our lives and the sins of our lives and becoming more and more grounded in the truth and knowledge and understanding of God's Word. That's sanctification. 
Jesus said in the intercessory prayer, John 17 and 17, Father, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. The bottom line is, no matter what people claim, you can't stay at home and be sanctified like you can in and through the Lord's church. You can't read books and be sanctified like you can through the preaching and teaching of God's word through the institution known as the Lord's church. That's what its purpose is for the people of God and the saints of God. It's the third part of the commission, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This is the stereotype of the Lord's purpose in sanctifying His people. It's through the institution of the church. That's it. And the preaching and teaching of God's Word. So, no wonder people aren't sanctified who are outside of the church. I'm not saying you have to be a part of the church to go to heaven. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the growth takes place in the garden, and the garden is the church. Because this is where the fertilizer and the water. And Paul made that, didn't he? Illustration about one man plants, another man waters, and God gives the increase. Where does he give it at? In and through the church. Because that's where the truth is to be found. It is also a place of the greatest relationship on earth. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the bond that Christ has with the church, which is the bond that you have with Him if you are a believer. You are His child. You are His sheep. He is your shepherd. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. You are His servant. You have that bond. And when we come together here with the fellow saints who have the same bond and we all share that bond together with Christ, let me say to you, there is no greater bond. That tie, that bond supersedes all other bonds. Most people don't believe that, but that's the Bible. That's why Jesus said and used the words, if you don't hate mother and father and brother and sister and wife and husband and this and that and all those earthly relationships, what he's saying, he's not teaching us to hate anybody. You don't understand that. But he's saying, except your priority is me first, then you don't have any tie to me. I mean, if you're going to have a relationship with me, I've got to be first. And everybody else has got to fall by the wayside in their proper places. But I'm to be first. And so when we come together as a church, and you have that bond with the Lord, and I have that bond with the Lord, guess what? We can't help but have that bond with one another. And that bond supersedes flesh and blood. And that's offensive sometimes to family members. But that's the Bible. If I got in dire need and was in great need and it's no offense to any of my family, I'd be calling on some of my friends, God's people and brothers and sisters in Christ before I'd pick up the phone for a blood relative because I believe they, I have a great, I know I have a greater bond with them and in many ways trust and dependence and devotion and loyalty. That's who you can really depend upon. If you think you can depend on others outside the church any more than you can those in the church that are faithful to Christ, you're kidding yourself. 
The greatest loyalty, the greatest devotion, and as the song says, the tie that binds is found in the Lord's church among God's people. And it's the same as Christ has with His church that we have with the fellow saints. So this is a place of sanctification, it's a place of edification, and that's because here is where we come together with one another and share all of that in unity. In fact, just turn, we're still in Ephesians, it's easy, turn back to the fourth chapter, verse 11. Here it tells us, really in part, some of the purpose of the church and why the Lord did the things He did. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And these all, the apostles were the foundation of the first church. Others are offices through the church. Why? Why the church? And why these various offices and individuals? Right here it is. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's all positive news, folks. That's all for your good, for my good, for the world's good, the people's good, the lost is good. The church is where all of the obedience in following Christ takes place. Till, this is now, till we all come in the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. That's a mature growth. Unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. And here's some preventative. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. Carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slay of men and cunning craftiness. Whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love. Again, where are you going to find love? Where are you going to find truth in this world? I'll tell you where you're going to find it. In the Lord's church. Where should you expect to find it? In the Lord's church. In the Lord's people. And may grow up, that's edifying, into all things which is the head, even Christ. Notice, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. I mean, wow. That's like building a house and not just putting nails and screws into it, but gluing it also. It can't come apart in that respect. By that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's some of the strongest language we could ever read to you about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's past superglue. Okay, but you get that bond there? I mean... Any carpenter's amazed at dovetail joints and how things fit and, and all that, right? I mean, you just look and you say, wow, wow, that's just amazing the way that just locks together. I mean, when it's done right, I saw something here a while back and I just was amazed. And with the tools we have today, how those dovetails and things, I mean, they're just perfect. And it's like, well, you don't need to do anything else to them. They fit so perfect. But yet... You can still put glue on it, and you can still put a nail in it if you want to. And staples are what you know. That's the that's the implication I get there. Verse sixteen. I mean, it is just man. It is packed together and meant to be together and meant to stay together. Wow, that's to be found in the Lord's church. Now, there's a great error here that has always been around concerning the church, and that is the neglect of this relationship we've been talking about with Christ and His church. You can't and don't and don't even try 
to separate Christ, His teaching, and His church. Don't do it. Don't do it. What do I mean by that? I could not, I don't even, it's a bad thought for me to think about the people that through the years have told me how much they love the Lord. Some of them were members of churches I pastored and some of them were not members of churches I pastored. But the church might as well have been a stepchild. Tell you how much they love the Lord, but they have no interest in church whatsoever. That defies Scripture. We have already established that Christ has a greater relationship with His church than anything there is that exists. How can a person love the Lord and not love His church? You know, that, that'd be like having a best friend whom you love dearly, but you're going to disrespect his wife? I don't think so. Don't separate Christ and His church. Because the church is made up of who? His people. And what did Christ say about that? He said, a new commandment I give to you. And this is how everybody's going to know you're my disciples. We mentioned it in Sunday school, John 13, 34, and 35. That you love one another. Love one another. Now if we love Christ, we have to love what Christ loves. And Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. And the church is made up of you and me, whom He loves and died for, right? And then people say, well, I love the Lord, but they don't follow in the footsteps of the Lord. Well, that's ridiculous too. Jesus told those that believed on Him, if you continue in My Word, then you're My disciples indeed. If you love Me, keep My commandments. I'm, I hate to say this, but I'm on telly because it's true. I kind of flinch within when somebody tells me or starts to tell me how much they love the Lord. Don't tell me. Don't tell the Lord. Show us. That's how we do it. That's how we're told to do it. Don't tell the Lord in prayer, Lord, I love you. Show Him. Show Him. Show Him in words. But this is a common thing. Well, I, I, I love the Lord and I do this and I love the Word of the Lord and, and people talk of that lovey-dovey stuff and they do nothing to show that love. That's ridiculous. I, I just want to say to you plainly, I love the Lord's church because I love the Lord. And the Lord loves the church. And I love you because I love the Lord and I love His church. And I love His people. <laughs> and that's what the Scripture teaches. Because therein we find the greatest love, devotion, loyalty, obedience, reverence, following the Lord, forsaking the world, and other things among God's people in the church, as it should be. Do you realize the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is where the greatest, most important activity in the whole world has always been going on and always will be? There's nothing more important out there than what's going on in here. The church is the means by which the Lord is doing His work. This is the vehicle. This is the means. His church. Everybody. No matter how big, how small, or where. And let me say to you again, we're a church in this building, but this building is not the church. We could all get up right now and go right out there in the parking lot and we'd still be the same church. Or across the highway. You know? 
So it's the assembly, that's the church. But it is within the church, in following the commission and obeying our Lord, where the greatest and most important activity on the earth takes place. A lot of people look at government in Washington and think, well, that, that man, the most important decisions and the greatest things that are going on are happening in Washington. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're happening in the mountains of Thailand. They're happening in Aztec, New Mexico, in hollers and backwoods in Kentucky and Tennessee and anywhere else on this earth where the Lord's people assemble. That's where the greatest work's going on. That's where the light is shining the brightest in darkness. There is. Don't, don't let them tell you. Don't be deceived that greatness and great things are happening elsewhere. No, this is where the great stuff happens right here. You read the book of Acts and you can verify that. This is the pace where the greatest authority on earth is also. I've got to mention that. You realize that? Oh, there's a lot of power and a lot of authority and a lot of places in there and a lot of countries and a lot of presidents and a lot of kings, queens, dictators. But the heavenly authority is right here in the Lord's church. The Lord himself who has the keys, quote unquote, to everything, to lock or to open, told his church, I'm giving unto you the keys of the kingdom. Do you realize that that's the most important key there is? Because the kingdom of Christ is the greatest kingdom ever has been and ever will be. And who has the keys to that? The church. There is no greater authority. There is no greater responsibility. There is no greater work going on than here. I of all people know that because when I read the words of what Jesus said to Peter, it said to me, feed the flock, feed the flock, feed the flock. Feed the flock. It is in this church where the two greatest ordinances on the planet are observed. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Lord's Church. Government doesn't do that. Individuals can't do that. Organizations of people can't do that. But the Lord's Church is authorized to do those very sacred and important and practice those ordinances that commemorate manifest and give us the memorial of the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel by which we are saved. And tonight we have the high privilege of once again taking the memorial supper. We look forward to that. What a blessing. The church is a place where what you do really does count. Church is not a casual social gathering, even if the world has made it to be so. It's a place where we reverence God. It's a place where we meet with God. And what's to be done here is to be done with that in consideration. When I read the scripture a while ago in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, about it being the pillar and the ground of the truth, Paul told Timothy, that thou mayest knowest how to behave thyself in the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Our behavior here is very important. Our attitude here is very important. Everything we do here when we assemble from start to finish is very important. Because it's to be done with, the, with and to the glory of God. And you might remember, well, you know, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, Paul told the church at Corinth their disobedience had caused some of them to be sickly, and others to die as chastisement. 
because of their abuse of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So what we do here is always important, just a brief reminder. The church, again, and one of the great things about it is not only has Christ promised his presence here, but he's promised the church is not going anywhere. It's always going to be here. If he promised to be in it, he's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. So he promised perpetuity yet. The gates of hell have been trying to destroy it, through, starting with Judas Iscariot and the scribes and Pharisees in Christ's day. And Jesus' promise was the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But let me tell you, the gates of hell have been unleashed against it. And you see that through human history in the dark ages and, and the persecution then, now. It will be unrelenting, but it's not going to be annihilated because Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What a blessing. We don't have to fret about whether the Lord's going to abandon it, ungodliness is going to overrun it, it's going to go out of existence. There's going to be a church here till Christ comes for it. And of course, when He comes for it, is to take her to a special place in heaven, the new Jerusalem. You know, just like when men and women used to marry, you know, the old custom was in so many places that if you didn't have a place to take your bride to, a home, you didn't have no place taking a bride. And no father's going to consent to just let his daughter take up with some guy who doesn't have provision for her and many times that's what an engagement was all about in a lot of cultures was you're engaged and as soon as I get everything in order and get it all ready and get it all prepared and we have a place to live and a place to go and a place to this then he comes for his bride well that's exactly what's going to happen and her dwelling place will be in the new Jerusalem what a blessing we're told not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together and why would we want to when this is a place of greatest blessing, this is a place where God gets His greatest glory, this is where God meets with us, this is where we meet and commune and fellowship one with another. I look forward to coming here. God forbid that we do come and don't look forward to coming here. What's wrong with us? We're to come here and exhort and encourage one another. I like to be encouraged and I like to encourage, don't you? Let's conclude this. Unto Him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. If Christ is the priority of the believer, then the church is going to be a priority. I can say this and you think, well, that's, He's the preacher, you know. But the focal point of my life is the Lord's church. But that's just not meant to be that way for pastors. It should be yours also. Because the Lord is our Lord. And this is His church. And this is where we belong. And this is where He's put us. And this is where the garden where we do the work. And so this is the focal point of our lives. This is where we work, serve, obey, worship, and seek to carry on the commission that the Lord has given us. And let me say, it is a privilege to be a part of the greatest institution on the earth, a divine institution, the most important one.
It's a privilege. So again, the old saying, it's not just a duty to go to church. May God help us to always see it as a privilege and an honor rather than a duty. There always has been and always will be people that at this very moment that would like to be in a church service and are laying in a bed, hospital bed or something or, or something somewhere. There's people that have been persecuted for assembling that would have loved to have the conveniences that we have today to assemble. I feel ashamed many times and I read of the martyrs and those who are persecuted. They couldn't meet in a house. They'd have to meet some secret place out in the woods. And when they, they of course, had to get the word to everybody, that was a danger of trying to notify everybody when and where they're going to meet. We're going to meet over in such and such a cave or holler or mountain or what have you. And there was a danger of it getting leaked out. And then when they would meet, they'd have to put sentries out. Everybody couldn't get in the assembly. They'd have to put somebody out on the sides in case the enemy came. Don't you think those people would love to be sitting where we're sitting today? I see pictures old time. I got to say this. I'll wrap it up. I see, I've seen old pictures at old country churches like where I was raised, and there'd be the teams and the wagons and the horses and stuff tied up out there where people come to church. People wrapped up in old quilts and blankets and everything in cold and snowy weather and come. I think about John Bunyan. You can read the story of his life and about riding horses through storms and rain and whatever to get some place to preach to a little congregation of God's people we got her made folks we are so blessed the point this out and I'm done the statement at the end of this verse is a euphoric statement I mean the apostle has just brought this to a crescendo when he makes the statement that is our text a lot of things in this chapter and obviously, as you see in the 4th and 5th chapter, a lot of things concerning the church. So he's, he's really big here on this. But he says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. What does that mean? I mean, it, it's just like saying something and then saying something on top of it that doesn't make sense for emphasis. And I am told the literal translation is, To all the generations of the age of the ages... Well, what's the age of the ages? What's all the generations of the ages of the ages? Well, it's, it's like trying to say throughout all eternity and more. Well, there is no more. <laughs> but that's what he's trying to say, and it is literally a euphoric statement here of God receiving glory in the church. I'll leave you with this. The psalmist had the attitude that we're to have in the Old Testament. And of course, then they had a temple. They didn't have a church. But in Psalms 26 and verse 8, he said, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. To us, now, that's the church. The 27th and 4th verse, he says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and then to inquire in His temple. Then that familiar passage in Psalms 122 and 1, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. May the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, rekindle our love, our passion, our desire for the Lord's church.
because that's where he receives his greatest glory and what a privilege to be involved in that process.